So, welcome everybody. So today, we're going to continue with the, the eyes to be opened, opening of the eyes. Um, just, I'm going to end it off here. Next week, I'm going to talk about the tree. I'm going to say I'm going to mention the tree tonight. And next week, I'm going to talk about this tree more in detail. Because we need to understand this tree if we want to understand the Bible. Um, but today I want to finish up with the eyes and make you see and understand what we, what we are saying in it. Um, before we begin, as an introduction, did you all read the verse that I placed on the, on the group? Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I don't want to go deep into this verse. I just want to say something just to make you see what we've been speaking about and teaching about these last, since I think we started with a with Song of Solomon's about the love and our relationship and everything. I want you to show, show you something what your Bible is saying that will contradict what you believe most of the time. I'm going to read it again. We've all read this verse. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's the beginning and the end. The author and the finisher. He's, because he's outside of time. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did he endure the cross? It says there, who for the joy that was set before him. And what do we always say? Oh, the cross. And we cry about the cross. And oh, Jesus suffered on the cross. But what does your Bible say he, he had when he had to go through the cross? He had joy. That makes you think a bit different. We don't take away the pain and the suffering that was the cross. But he had a joy to endure this, to face it. How many of you have read that word joy in that verse? In all the times you've read that verse? And we go into this suffering mode of Jesus at the cross and how he must have felt. He felt very well. He had joy in him. He didn't want to do it obviously in the flesh because he had to go through the pain and the suffering of everything. But he enjoyed. He had joy in him to face this thing. So how should we act when we have things that's... That's hanging in front of us. Problems, issues. How do we face them? So, so think about it. This cross, he knew what it was about. I mean, they saw it every day in the streets, people hanging on crosses. That was the Roman torture rack. So it was nothing new. It was not like he didn't know what was he going to go through. And, and he thought it joy. So I'm telling you this, that you see why he did what he did. Why is he in a relationship with you? Why he loves you so much? Because he saw it's a joy to do that for you. Everything he's done. You must understand what that you must have a revelation of what that verse actually means. It's not joy running up and down saying, I want to get, go to the cross. It's way deeper than that. But I'm, I just thought to throw this in here because of what we're talking about, that you understand Jesus more, his character, how he thinks. Because we've got, like I said before, misunderstanding of the Bible, of Jesus. 
I said to Monique the other day, I said it was funny if you, if you listen to any other religion, whether it's Judaism, whether it's Muslim, um, Islam, Hinduism, have you noticed when you talk to those people in a one-on-one and you want to talk about their religion and your religion, go look on YouTube, there's thousands and thousands of videos. Have you ever noticed that those guys know their Bibles? They can quote the stuff like that. And then you get a Christian on the street, and he's got no clue what's in the Bible. He just knows, oh, you, you, you may not judge me. You know, first, do that to you, and you do the others. All those are little verses that we quote, they, but they don't have a clue what the Bible is saying. It's funny how we as Christians don't think it's necessary to read much of the Bible. And we're all guilty of that, because we were brought up that way. But the more I want you guys more and more as I'm pushing this thing for you to see how important it is to know what's standing in your Bible because then you will know who's this person you, you love and find out about him. I saw a video the other day of a guy trying to convert a Muslim uh, to Christianity. <laughs> the Muslim, arrogant, the way he spoke back to the Christian, said to him, listen, um, what was your, your God's name when he was born? And this Christian says, Jesus. And the Muslim laughs in his face. And he's joking with the Muslim next to him about how, what an idiot this Christian is. And he said to him, really? What is your God's name? And this guy goes, on Jesus. And eventually the guy said, can I tell you what your God's name is? And he said, yeah. He says, his name is Yeshua. It's a simple thing. But this Christian didn't even know that. And I'm not saying you've got to be a a Bible scholar, but we, 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 that's just a simple thing just to show how we are. We, we don't know what is in the Word. You know, I'm the last one that says you've got to call Jesus Yeshua. But it's just, it's just a, it just shows you as we as believers how much we know. And you all know that if you talk to people outside and you mention something to them, they don't know what you're talking about. And they're all believers. So I'm saying it to you. I don't worry where the other Christians are, whether they want to read the Bible, but I'm saying to you that's here in the Bible school and that's listening to this video, if you are wanting to grow with the Lord, you need to read your Bible. Not to become a Bible student, but to fall in love with Jesus because He's the Word breathed into the Scriptures. He's hidden everywhere for you to see. And the more He reveals, the more you fall in love. But if you just read the carnal verses like that, you will not fall in love. You will not. You're going to want to do stuff and say stuff and not be in tune with what the Spirit is doing. So that's what I'm saying. These verses, I mean, we read the stuff, but we don't read it and truly see what's written there. And that's why with this topic we're speaking about, Eyes Open, where we spoke last week about how Jesus opened the, the blind man's eyes um, with, the, with the clay and everything that it meant around that. And tonight... I want to go further with the opening of the eyes. Remember, it started in Genesis when God said, if you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open. And they ate of the tree and their eyes were open to sin. And sin entered the world. And things changed from that day. Everything changed. We are shown eight specific people who were given their sight. And there's two more instances where they tell there's a lot of people that got healed. So they don't say the amount. But they specifically mention eight people that got their sight restored. Eight, we know, is the number of uh, a new beginning. All right? Here's the scriptures that's got all the, the 
healings in the New Testament of people that was blind. Matthew 9, Mark 8. You see, I said to you there, Matthew 9, Jesus gave sight to the two blind men. So there's two people there. All right. Jesus gave sight to the blind man in Bethesda uh, by spitting in his eyes. Jesus gave sight to the man who was demon-possessed and blind and mute. Jesus gave sight to the man, uh, the blind man who, while coming into Jericho. In Luke, Matthew 20, Jesus gave sight to two blind men when leaving Jericho. Um, and John 9, Jesus gave sight to the blind man by putting clay on his eyes, then having him wash it off in the pool of Siloam. We spoke about that on last time. We spoke about it. Something to note. Look how perfect your Bible is. Remember, who was the tree of life? Jesus. So was he a tree in the garden, a literary tree? We're going to answer you. He was the tree of life. He says, I am the tree of life. So he's the one that said, if you eat of this tree, the wrong one, your, your eyes will be opened. All these miracles was done by Jesus. Nobody else prayed for anybody's sight to be restored in the Bible. Only Jesus. He's the only one that did that. Because he came to correct what was happening in the garden. He's the only one. Nobody else. Tonight I want to read in Mark 8. Remember Mark 8? There is it. Mark 8, that one there. Jesus goes side to the blind man. And beside him by spitting on his eyes. We're going to go to that one. Mark 8, 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him. And we saw him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. When he had spit on his eyes... And put his hands upon him. He asked him if he saw out. All right. Let me first read it, then I'm going to go into that. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. All right. So what's happening here? Here we read Jesus praying to the blind person for healing. Something you will see a lot in your Bible. You must spot the patterns in your Bible. It says here, um, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Do you know how many times in your Bible Jesus took somebody out of the town? What is it saying to you? He's taking them out of the system. And he does the healing outside the systems. Every time you will see. Even when Jesus was born, they say the star stopped outside. It didn't go in the town. All right, you must see, he always goes, when he does certain things outside the system of the day to do the healings and the stuff that he wants to do. When he goes into the system, he does it for a specific reason. Otherwise, he would do it outside the system, outside religion. We don't do this where religion is, is thriving. But here, Jesus prayed to this guy and he saw trees as men walking. Now, our charismatic people, we love that verse. How many times have you 
or you've heard it, said, heard people say they pray for somebody for a healing, then the healing doesn't happen, then they say, no, 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 Jesus prayed twice for a guy, so let me pray again for you. You've all heard that? Well, they say, yeah, I remember Jesus, he prayed for the guy, and he saw trees, so he prayed again, and then he got healing, so I'm going to pray again for you. See, when you read your Bible down the corner of mine, that's what, that, that's what you get out of that verse. Huh? But is that what it's saying? Did Jesus or the Holy Spirit put that scripture in your Bible so you must pray twice for a healing because your first time didn't work? Do you see the difference when you read the Bible out of your carnal mind and when you ask the Holy Spirit, what is this? What is this happening here? Why did you put this in the Bible so specifically? But we, in our carnal minds, try and figure stuff out and say, no, no, let's pray again. You know, Jesus did it. Listen here, Jesus never made a mistake anywhere in the Bible. He didn't pray and he made a mistake and said, oh, damn, this guy didn't see. I'm going to pray again for him like we do. Jesus never had that problem. It's actually scary that we thought that. I believe that, that Jesus prayed twice and I've said it to people, I'm going to pray again. But when you become more mature, you actually realize, Jesus, did I actually believe that? Because it sounds so stupid now if you think about it. Why would Jesus make a mistake like that? He will not. He doesn't make mistakes. He does everything deliberately. Everything that's in your Bible is there for a reason to discover. Because he's hidden in the Word. But something is definitely being said here in the story. It's a short little parable, but there's something significant placed in there. I mean, it says, he asked him if he saw out, if he saw something. And what did the man say? He saw these trees. I see in the Aramaic, it says, Jesus placed his hand, this is what it means in the Aramaic. Jesus placed his hands over his eyes and brought light the moment he prayed. It's beautiful when you hear how it, the Aramaic would say it when he prayed to him, the moment he prayed for him. So, what, did, what happened in Genesis 1? Light and day. All right? He brought light. Because first John says, first John says, in the beginning, huh? in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And this one that's light, and this is why it says that when he prayed, this is light. Maybe one day we will talk about that, but this light that came to the earth. So he's saying then, I see men as trees walking. Why trees? Why places? This in the Bible, why trees? For those that don't know, I'm putting it for their sake on it. Some of you might know this, or most of you should know this. Genesis 2 verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Jeez, I want to say stuff here, but I, I want to keep it for next week. I'm just going to give you a little glimpse here. God to grow every tree. How many trees do you think is in the Bible? In the garden? It says there every tree that is pleasant sight and good for food. He's not talking about the two trees. He later goes on and says, and then those were there. The tree of life also in the midst. He also, those other trees are not the tree of life or the... And midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So those were in the midst of the garden. Then there was lots of other trees. Uh, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. You see there? Remember what I said last time? He didn't give them free will. He commanded them. You may not eat of that. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eats thereof, thou shalt surely die. All right, so we all know Jesus says, I am the tree of life. And trees bear fruit. What does the Bible say must you do? Bear fruit. I can see you guys not getting what it's actually saying there. We will talk about it next week. Okay, see it's going over your heads. There's something hidden there with fruits and trees. Because you just said you need to bear fruit. So what are you? A tree. What was placed in the garden? So was a trees in the garden? It's spiritual, it's not the natural. We've got a, this Bible is a spiritual book. It's not a book for natural things. What does the Bible say we do now? We must bear fruit. What bears fruit? A tree. These trees all had fruit. Pleasant to the sight. It says it there. All right, but I'll leave you there till next week. <laughs> you, will, you will understand it maybe more next week. Then we go to Genesis 3. 3 verse 1, 2, I'm going to read 24. So. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So there's more than one tree. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. So he's not saying you eat trees. He's talking about fruit, obviously. Because the next one he goes, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you teach. Touch it, lest ye die. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, oh, look at there, she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was, remember they didn't eat meat back then. All right, they, they did not eat meat in the garden. They only ate fruit. And that it was pleasant, I think we some one day only are going to eat fruit again. I don't think we're going to eat meat. But luckily the fruit is going to taste better than meat. For us to survive. Because I mean, uh, to, to say goodbye to a nice lamb chop or a piece of steak, plunky steak. <laughs> Can you imagine how that fruit must taste? You know what movie make me th made me think about that? Avatar. When they eat that fruit, because they specifically go into that fruit and you see the juiciness of that fruit. And they always want to look at that and I think, mm, one day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The, because, I mean, if you eat a really good fruit, the explosion of taste in a fruit, there's not much that can match that. <laughs> no, not today's. Not today's. This artificial fruit tastes like plastic. All right, so, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise. So if you eat of this tree, you will become wise. She took off the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband um, with her and he did eat. So God drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every way to keep the God uh, to keep in God the way to the tree of life. All right, so they sinned there, they ate, they didn't follow the commandment God gave them. God acted according to what they did there. He placed um, two angels there and a sword. 
What does your Bible say? What is the sword? When you put on your armor. The word. It's Jesus. He, because the Bible says he's the word. That's where the sword is. So he locked it. Protected it so that we can't enter in there again. That's why everything after that came from the east. Because the garden was closed. How do, where did the star come from? From Jesus. From the east. Everything you can go read in your Bible comes from the east. Because it was closed off there. But here comes the one that closed the garden. And he starts praying for people for healing the sight. So it says there, the tree was pleasant to the eyes. You see how your eyes play a role in what you choose? What you see? God closed the garden, so man would stay away. So this is what I've said before. He closed the garden so that man cannot enter into the garden again in his fallen state. Because he just ate of the fruit. His eyes were open to the sin, thinking he was going to be God. But he was already walking in glory. Romans says, we're waiting for that glory again. If they had it, they lost it. When their eyes opened, they lost it. Their sin, sinful nature entered. Man started, I think the whole of creation started there when he ate. Everything changed from there onwards. Not before, from there. The moment he ate and sin entered. This, our man fell into this fallen state, this naked state. Sin being exposed, alright? But now here in Mark 8, Jesus comes and he prays for this guy. And he actually gives you a glimpse of what he came to do at the cross. On what did he hang on the cross? On a tree. The cross was made of wood. And here he comes and he prays for this man. And what is this... Um, what is he doing when he's praying for this man? By healing this man, Jesus shows you that he's taking us back to the garden, the state that we were in before the tree caused us to sin. This is referring to the trees we read about over and over now here in Genesis that was in the garden. The trees that's walking. This is the trees of the garden. He's taking man back to where it all started in the garden, where they, your Bible says they were like trees. Who wrote Genesis? Moses. It is a spiritual book. That's why everything that's mentioned there is not literally that thing. It's a spiritual book. So here Jesus goes and he shows what was, how perfect he knew Moses had to write this as trees when he wrote Genesis in the Torah. So he went, so those Jews, when he, they heard that, they knew exactly he was talking about the trees that is in Genesis, in the Torah, that he's saying here, actually. Precisely, he's going back to the garden. He's saying, I'm restoring your eyesight back, like it was in the garden, before sin entered, when you were trees, spiritually. Isn't that beautiful to understand that? Doesn't that make that verse so much more beautiful and actually make sense why it's in your Bible? Because he came to restore our sight. And he shows us exactly where to is he taking us. That's why everybody will say, tell you, the, he's taking us back to the garden. You are the garden. You are the piece of ground that he's working on. Planting. Seed. What is the battle from Genesis to Revelation? The seed. So Jesus is taking us back to those trees that the Bible says bear this beautiful fruit. Remember these trees all had? 
good fruit. He's taking us back to that stage. What does the Bible say we must have now? Fruit. Why? Jesus, when he comes back, he's looking at our fruit. Why? Not to see how good or bad you are, to see can people eat from you? Can they come and eat from you? What fruit have you got? Because in the garden, all the trees had good fruit, he said. Only the one. Because Jesus came to deal with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's actually showing them that that happened there. The eyes that were opened there. He's coming to, to bring healing, correction back to that. Here in John, John 15 verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Man, that thing must be a revelation. You guys must get that. I'm not going to teach on that now. But that's a big thing. He chose you. It's not by accident. He chose you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. See, you want to take us back to having fruit again? Like in the garden? In the fullness of all the glory? And that your fruit shall remain, not wither away. I don't think that fruit in the garden withered away the fruit that was on the trees, whether you believe it's a real tree or not. That whosoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. When would he give it to you? When the fruit remain. Um, none of your fruit remain. Mine also not. When somebody does something, you throw them with your fruit sometimes. Our fruit don't remain always, but one day it will. Matthew 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and the fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. How was the tree in the garden now, the one of the knowledge of good and evil? It was evil. What did the Bible say? Who was the one that was on the tree? The snake. All right? Evil. They don't go further understanding where and what does it imply. Where is it actually happening? So the fruit are being restored by the opening of the eyes. You must understand that. All the fruit will be restored of the trees by the opening of the eyes. And who did I say last week? Who opens the eyes? Only Jesus. Remember I said to you every time Jesus did this, Jesus, tonight I told you only Jesus did all the miracles of eyes opening. So who's going to open our eyes one day? Jesus will. He's the one that will take us back because he was the tree of life. He's the beginning. And at the end he will take us back to the beginning. A full circle. We will go back to where we came from. Because remember he's not in time, he's outside of time. What was first will be last. Is the beginning and the end. Alright? That's why those things are said that way in your Bible. So that we know we're going to get restored back to that state. Not Adam's state. Before the fall. That state. So now here we see Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on a tree. And the garden is opened. The sword is taken away basically. The garden gets opened. Alright? Can we enter? No, not right now. He may take you in to have a glimpse and come out again, but we're not there 24-7. But there will come a time when it's fully open and we can enter. Spiritually, I'm talking about. All of this happened. The mistake came in Genesis. 
Jesus comes, he brings correction to that mistake, and he gives us little glimpses of how he's, what he's doing. This is one of the things he came to restore, this eyesight. Because our eyes tells somebody everything about you when they look you in the eyes. You can see when somebody's sad, when they're happy, when they're evil, it's all in the eyes. So here, spiritually, the eyes are the same thing. It's to take us somewhere, but Jesus comes and he restores that at the cross. When he dies, he brought the sight back. He showed you he brought the sight back in the natural, and he went and did it in the spirit. Everything the natural shows you, that's what he came to do. And he brought the sight back. And how do we know he brought the sight back? I'll read it for you. Shortly after that, the cross, something happened. The first man to walk in what Jesus came to do was Paul. And on the road to Damascus, Paul was on his way to kill the Jews. He got struck by, again, light. The one that's light strikes him down. And what does the light do? It blinds him. And he shows him you are in that state, the blind state, like Adam and Eve. Because he knew the Torah word for word. He was a scholar. He was a rabbi. But he didn't see Jesus. So Jesus closed down and shows him, this is how blind you actually are. You can't see me. Even though you read the scriptures, you can't see me. Paul was schooled by the best. He captured Jews for a living, threw them in jails, had them executed. But here something happens. Jesus comes, and again, Jesus closes his eyes. See the pattern stays the same, not somebody else. Then he had to wait for a disciple by the name Ananias. He tells Paul, go there. He tells Ananias, go there, Jesus, to pray for this man. And he told him, go pray for him. For what reason must he pray for him? For his eyes to open. Because when he prayed, the scales fell off his eyes. All right? Religion fell off his eyes. The veil was taken away. And all of a sudden, Paul understood Jesus. Because when his eyes were opened, he saw Jesus in the scriptures that he knew word for word, but he never could see Jesus in those scriptures, in the Torah. And all of a sudden, he started teaching out of the Torah. Jesus. How did that happen? His eyes were open. So if you read your Bible today, and you want to be like Paul to see Jesus in the scriptures, your eyes need to be opened. You need to be opened. But what does the religion groups outside say? Open your third eye. Hmm? Have you ever seen Hinduism? What do they open? Their third eye. Why would they have another eye then? Because there's no importance of having insight. And that eye is for insight that they open it. Go read about it. Go educate yourself. Go read what is the third eye. It's, it's ugly stuff. It's Hinduism and, and Buddhism and all that. Ask the people that take drugs. Sometimes they open their eyes when they take drugs. They, the third eye get open so they can see in the spirit. But it's in the evil side they go into with that eye. 
Because they know the importance. They don't have the Holy Spirit that can open our eyes. They need an extra eye. Where does their third eye sit? Right there. Why do you think the Hindus got the little dot there? It's part of all that, all the enlightenment here for the, for the demons. The third eye. It's funny that they also know there's something with an eye that we need. They know they don't have that. That's why they had to get an extra eye and look stupid. Because they can't use the two eyes. The Spirit can't open the two eyes into the Spirit. But our Spirit, the Holy Spirit, can open up our eyes into the Spirit. We don't need a third eye. So Paul's eyes were opened and immediately he walked out and he started preaching Christ. Paul received the revelations of Christ. Nobody else did. He got specific revelations. Nobody else did. Why? Because he walked in this new thing that Jesus opened at the cross, took us back, and Paul could see in the scriptures the revelations that nobody else received. Christ in you. We're all going to be changed one day. It's all revelations that he saw. All right? I put this also in here. Remember, we are not in Paul's dispensation. I'm going to say this again. We don't live in Paul's dispensation. You get people that teach us dispensations. That means they only do what Paul did. All right? We don't walk in that. Because that means then you're not going to baptize anything, anybody because Paul never baptized anybody. You're not going to pray for people because Paul didn't pray all the way like the other disciples did. We're not in Paul's dispensation, but we walk according to what Paul walked. But we're not in Paul's dispensation. We are in Christ's dispensation. All right? We're not Paul worshippers. Because those people say, no, we don't worship Paul, but they only do what Paul did. That means they don't do discipleship because Paul never did discipleship. Paul, Paul taught to the more mature believers. Peter and them did the disciple work. All right? But we are walking in the dispensation of Jesus Christ. But we do as Paul did. He says it here. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be ye imitators of me, even as also am of Christ. I am of Christ. So I'm saying to you, you've got to be imitators of Paul. Why must you imitate Paul? Because he's walking in this revelation. He understood it. He understood the revelation nobody else understood. His eyes were opened. He saw stuff that nobody else saw. You, you, you understand that everything Paul received, these revelations, the Bible says everything was open to him. But that was still hidden. So if everything was open to Paul, we have everything. I'm not saying we're walking in everything yet. But it was given to Paul, so it's given to you. So there's nothing more mysteries that's not in your Bible that's going to come. It was all given to Paul. We don't walk in all those mysteries yet. But we've got the ability to see those things now. But there's stuff that he had a revelation that we don't walk in. He said, one day you're going to be changed in an instant. We don't walk in that yet. He had the revelation of that. That's why we must walk as the imitator of Paul. Why must you follow what Paul did in the scriptures? 
There, that's why. Even as I also am of Christ. So he's following Christ. So if you, that's why everything Jesus came to do and did, Paul walked after that because he understood it. He had the revelation of that. That's why you can look at what Paul did. How did he walk when he talked to people? What did he say? He said, grow. Stop being babies. Why are you drinking milk? That's how you should talk. When you talk, because you want to imitate Paul. You, you're not supposed to, to, to hand out milk much. Because Paul had an issue every time he had to hand out milk. He said, why am I giving you milk again? Because he's moved on from the milk stage and the people should also. But now he's talking to them and he realizes they're still babes. But you're supposed to imitate Paul. So you're supposed to, when you speak to people, give meat. Stop giving people milk. Because if you give milk, it shows me you don't have the revelation yet. You still got to grow, maybe. All right? You see why we must grow? So that you know your Bible. And when somebody says something, you can answer them back. And not say, I don't know. Frau Werner. Then you can go into a meaningful conversation with somebody, not an argument. And say, no. No, this is what, I, what it says in the Word. All right? You see why we must be mature. Mature people can have a conversation and be intellectual about a thing. Babies got no clue what to say. They will just mumble a lot of stuff. Children also. So who must you imitate? When we had the men's away, that weekend when I was away, I told them, we've got to walk after this guy, Paul. We're not Paul worshippers, but he's given us a blueprint in what we can walk today. Because he had the revelation. And he gave the revelations to us in the word. It's in the word. All the revelations he got, he wrote it down for us. It's for us to pursue and to ask the Lord to open it up in the appointed time the Lord wants to open it up. Because remember, if you engage with something and you want to push that thing to happen now, it's not, not going to happen. It will only happen when he allows it to happen. But you've, you've got to pursue that stuff because it might happen in your lifetime. You don't know. Because it's given already 2,000 years ago to Paul. And if you go read in your Bible what Paul did, it will shock you if you actually read what Paul did. And you've got to walk according to that. All right? So, best translation is, I want, to, I want you to pattern your lives after me. It says it beautifully. Just as I pattern mine after Christ. And if you see there's something that we can't walk in yet that he's given us, then you pursue that thing. You don't throw it away. Oh, that's not for me now. No, everything Paul did is for us. Even though we don't walk in it, you pursue it. That's how you find mysteries and open, the Lord opens up stuff for you. So if there's something that's hidden there that you don't understand, you must pursue it. Because Paul had the revelation of it. And if you pursue it, the Lord will open it up. The Lord can open up something for you that's not for the season maybe yet, but it's maybe for next season, but because you need to train somebody for that, this thing for the next season. But Paul already received it 2,000 years ago. Nobody else received it. Why? Because Paul's eyes were opened. He walked in the fullness of come. When the disciples were walking, he hasn't opened their eyes yet because he needed to go to the cross before that. All right? After that, they also could get the revelations and stuff. Paul spoke to them. He had interaction with them. But he couldn't do it before the cross. He couldn't give it to Peter and John and James and those guys in the beginning because he first had to go to the cross. He gave them glimpses of what he's coming to do, 
Because everything he did when he walked the earth is to fulfill what was in the Old Testament. I'm going to say it again. Everything Paul or Jesus walked in on the earth in the four Gospels was he busy doing one thing and one thing only. He was fulfilling what the prophets said. He manifested everything the prophets prophesied in the Old Testament. The names of God. All the prophecies in Daniel and all those things. He came and walked it out. So that's why he couldn't say those things yet. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. I'm going to finish with this. But as it is written, you know these verses, but hopefully it starts making more sense or maybe you understand stuff more next time when you read these things. It says, but as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And that's just a spiritual thing he's saying here. There's going to become stuff which we can't even think. Our eyes are going to be open. We're going to have spiritual insight in stuff that we can't fathom even think about. And he's going to open it up. And it's not weird stuff. Isaiah 35.5 Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Do you see the prophecy in the Old Testament? The eyes of the blind shall be opened. Here it says, but it is written. Where is it written? Right there. Do you see it? I have not seen. In other words, eyes of the blind. Ears, um, nor ear heard. He came and he did that. All the miracles we just read. And he came and he fulfilled it on the cross. And he said on the cross, it's finished. I've opened their eyes. I've brought them back to the garden. They're going to enter the garden again. And I'm going to see to that they walk in the garden in the fullness of me. And that's why we got Paul to give us a blueprint in what we must walk with our eyes open, have spiritual insight into what we see in the Word. Like Paul, after that, could read the Word and he saw that. So pray that the Lord open your eyes more and more to see Jesus in the Word. To see the light in the Word. I must actually look how many times the word light is in your Bible. It is all over. From the beginning all the way to Revelations. It's written in your Bible. The light. The light. Genesis. Light and day. Day and night. Darkness and light. It's always. Light is life. Darkness. Evil. Death. But I want you to understand from now onwards, when you read about eyes being opened, understand why is it pointing that why did this guy see the trees walking? It's talking about the trees that were walking in the Garden of Eden. He's taking us back to that state. That's why the Bible says the axe is laying against the root of the tree. And you think, oh, somebody's going to be chopped. Huh? If he sins, he's going to be thrown in the fire. Huh? He's going to hell. That's what you were taught in churches. No, he's talking about the tree in the garden. That tree, the tree of knowledge and good and evil that brought sin. There's an axe laying against it. It's going to be chopped off. Who chopped it off? Jesus. He threw it in the fire because he's the fire. He's the one that purifies. He's coming to chop that tree off. It's against the root. It says the axe is against the root of the tree. What tree? The one in the garden that brought the problems. 
That's why he's using that metaphor, because it's the one in the garden. And we think he's talking about, oh no, it's Kwasi, because Kwasi did this thing the other day. Oh, the axe is against Kwasi, he's going to go to hell. It's got nothing to do with it. All right, so do you see how you must take your Bible and look at where the things link? Because everything links in your Bible. That's why you can't just take one verse and think that's it. If you take that verse, you look everywhere in your Bible, you would see there's a story throughout the thing. That story's name is Jesus. Everything is Jesus. Every of those stories, you will find him in there, hidden. But you have to walk like Paul to get spiritual insight like Paul. You have to go blind to see. You have to die to live. That's what we have to do.